Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Okay, well, once again, I am stoked to introduce another fantastic guest here. It is Claire Pedersen Patel, and she has some pretty cool stories uh, coming out of her, her rapid rise to power, if you will, at her consulting firm. And so she has some, some great things to share there, including one, how she found herself in charge of the whole associate program rather quickly. Two, coping strategies for when you fear you have no idea what you're doing. And three, what Claire loves seeing in fresh recruits. Now, I met Claire Pedersen Patel way back in the day in Mali United Nations, and she has really put those problem-solving and coalition-building type skills to good work. And, and rather quickly, she has come to lead the whole associate program at Trexin, which is an Inc. 5000 management and technology consulting firm. And Consulting Magazine has recently named Claire among their 35 under 35 rising stars of the profession. So if you want to check out the things mentioned here in the, the show notes or the transcript, you can drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash F12. That's the letters EP and then the numbers one, two. And here's Claire. Claire, thanks so much for appearing here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hi, Pete. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, I think you and I have both come a long way since being fellow Model United Nations folk at the University of Illinois. And yes. uh, my consulting star has set, but yours is rising and it's official mm -hmm. according to Consulting Magazine. So congratulations. Thank you very much. What is the kind of the story, the narrative behind how you found yourself uh, working, doing some typical consulting to being in a pretty cool spot, getting some uh, recognition from the Consulting Magazine publication, as well as being in charge of the whole associate program over there at Trexon? Yeah, um, so I, I think a lot of success is both working hard and then being uh, fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time. As far as Consulting Magazine goes, I'm sure there were thousands of people who were nominated for this award, so I'm really fortunate to be one of the nominations that got selected. And then I think getting there and getting those opportunities is a lot of working hard and then having the right bosses and managers that are able to recognize potential and are willing to um, promote people into interesting positions. So I was lucky I, back when I was an associate at Trexon, I kind of started getting the team together to talk about different things that the associates were all thinking about. And then it gradually evolved from there where we were just uh, recommending topics to the partnership and things like that. And then they ended up formalizing the role and decided that they needed somebody to lead the team. So based on some of the organization and meetings that I had already been managing, they offered me the role of leading the team formally. Well, that's really cool. And so for getting folks together and talking about associate issues and, and raising that to others in the organization, was that all just your idea? Like, hey, we should do this? Or how did that come about? It was really myself and then other associates on the team kind of teaming up. And since associates typically at that time all got staffed on different projects, we're never actually going to get to work together. So maybe we should grab lunch together every once in a while and talk about what life is like on our different projects. And so it just 
kind of built over time and turned into, well, what are the skill sets that we should all have and how do we learn from each other and what we've done on our respective projects. Intriguing. And so, so that's kind of that piece. You, you had some initiative and, and put that together and that was valuable. And you were sort of like in a way the, the default or de facto leader when, when push came to mm-hmm. shove and they were looking for someone and, and tell us a little bit, what was your experience with, uh, with a boss you said that was really kind of recognized uh, what you brought to the table and was, was doing some good advocacy for you? Yeah. So I, I think it's both uh, my boss or several of my bosses at Truxen, as well as a boss that I had back when I worked at Aon, there were several times when he was like, well, I think you should do this project. And for instance, one time we were starting this IT strategy project and he's like, Claire, I'd like you to represent our business unit on this IT strategy project. And my response was, no way. I think that's a bad idea. I don't know (laughs) IT strategy (laughs) and I don't think I'm the right person to do this. My team's tapped out. And he was like, well, what do you need to actually do this project? And what resources could I give you to turn this into a yes? And I was being a little stubborn. And my response was, well, you would have to double my team. And he's like, done. Now what are your next requests? And I was like, oh, um, I guess we're serious about this now. So maybe I should just go along. But it was a good lesson on taking risks and uh, recognizing that I had his support on the project. So I got a lot of help from him along the way. And I understood the first step of the project. I didn't really understand the whole process. But as we got through the first step, it was easy to figure out the second step and everything's not going to be clear and obvious. So it, it was a good lesson on taking risks that I think followed through on other projects too. Oh, that's really interesting. And so when you say taking risks, you're specifically talking about stepping into a responsibility or an area that you, you don't quite really feel ready to, to do yet. Yes, or recognizing that I would have to learn things to be successful in the role and being confident in my ability to learn something, but not necessarily my confidence in my existing knowledge of a certain subject area. Absolutely. And so when you're in the mix of that, I mean, when there's risk, you know, there's fear, it seems. So Mm -hmm. I guess, what is it that you feared might happen when you kind of stepped into something bigger? And did it ever happen? And how'd you manage it? Well, in that case, the IT strategy project was with my boss, the CIO of the business unit, sponsored by the global CIO, his boss, and was going to involve working with various C-suite members of the Aon business team. So I I think in that case, failure would have been very obvious and uh, And very public (laughs) and very visible. So I think that was a nerve wracking thing. Also knowing that my boss was responsible for delivering this and wanting it to go well. I, I think the fear is failing in those cases. And, but at the same time to grow, you have to be somewhat on the edge and pushing the limits of and appreciating that fear is going to motivate you to learn and do the right things along the way. I'm trying to think of a good example of failing, though. It's, it's hard to find one because you're <laughs> such a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's definitely 
cases. <laughs> I think there's usually, maybe it's not failing, but adjusting to a situation where like up front, you might not understand it completely and then need to build the skills to be able to succeed. So like up front, when you start the project, you might not be succeeding and might not be on a track to know everything, but then figuring out how to succeed. I think I hear what you're saying. It's like you haven't crashed and burned, but you've had some awkward moments where you're not quite crushing it the way you'd like to be at the beginning until you kind of get up to speed. Yes, exactly. Where it might feel like failure, but it's not actually failure because you find a way to recover along the way. I hear you. Now, well, now I am a tree. Do you have an example or a story behind that? I think a good one might be for one of my consulting projects, I went to work at a uh, major hair salon in, in their asset protection department. And going into that, I certainly, like, I have hair on my head. And <laughs> sure that's, <do>. about, is, <laughs> that's about the extensive, extent of my hair care knowledge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I had no experience in asset protection or theft prevention in salons or any retail store for that matter. So in that case, I had the experience around program management to help them with some things, but I, all of the subject matter expertise related to the program was something that I really learned on the ground as the program was going. And I, I think it was learning to get along with the people, the great people, but just learning a different dynamic since I had come from a lot of financial services clients and the retail and hair care industry was really about people coming up through the salons into the business. So it was much more, actually a much friendlier work environment. So it's funny mm. to say that I needed to adjust to working with nicer people, but <laughs> just a different team dynamic than I was used to. So a lot of differences, but new program management was able to help them get their program together and implement some changes that helped with their business. So it was a lot of fun, but I knew very little going into the program. Well, I, I love the stories you shared about how you had some cool ways of identifying where there was a risk of that theft might be occurring and then how the interrogation <laughs> unfolded and, and then the client was epically satisfied. So, so th those are my favorite stories is like when there's, there's a cool business result, but it comes from individual people having their work experience improved. Yes. Yes. That was a, it was a lot of fun and a lot of really cool to work with the different investigators on that project. I really enjoyed getting a little bit of interrogation training and using that now to read body language and just understand whether or not I'm actually connecting with somebody when I'm talking with them based on their body language or if I need to find a different way of approaching a person. So definitely learned a ton from that client and had a lot of fun. Well, while we're on the topic, are there any little little body language uh, tips or takeaways that you can uh, drop right here as a little bonus? I think a fun one is trying to, if you're sitting facing somebody, trying to mirror their body language to then get them to mirror you back. And then you can get them to either uncross their arms or uncross their legs in order to just be more open to the conversation. So I, I think it's neat to understand some of those things or be able to see when somebody 
might be saying yes to you, but they have their arms crossed and physically look really closed up, that's a time when you might be like, hmm, he might be saying yes, but he might not mean yes quite yet. Oh, perfect. Well, that is handy. I'm sure that can show up in, in many mm-hmm. different circumstances. And yes. so I want to hear a little bit then. So you have, there's, there's some fear and there's some uncomfortable, awkward moments in, in the early phase as you're kind of getting up to speed and acclimated. What are some of your pro tips or best practices for calming yourself down and getting up to speed in a hurry? For me, I think it's quickly, aggressively, like remember everybody's name, remember all of the people, understand what he wants to ask for each of the people so that you can help them achieve that. But it is an interesting part. The challenging part of consulting is always like starting a new client from scratch and trying to understand success or the goals from the beginning and aligning around them so that you can drive those through the course of the project. I'm trying to think of good tips for managing that because I think it's for a lot of consultants, maybe appear to be calm about it, but it's nerve wracking to go in and try to understand a situation from scratch over and over again. Oh, I remember those days. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's like, I'm asked to do something. It's like, I have no idea how to do that. And I don't even know how it works here. I don't know who to get involved. Who are the, where are the teams? Where's the expertise in these different areas? So I, I think understanding the people in the organization first is the best way to go because then you can understand who to go to to get the right information. And then once you get the right information, you can work with those people to construct the right solution that helps them get to success. Well, and I like that a lot. And that's applicable, I think, anytime you're starting a new project, either in consulting or in yeah. an industry role or a new job or role, kind of wherever you're you're landed as a professional and I think that what you said there is, is actually a pretty actionable tidbit, uh, if I may, just give you some credit there, is that you are thinking kind of clearly and strategically about, well, what are the most important questions I need answered and who can answer them? Yeah. As opposed to just hoping. Yes. <laughs> Hope is not the answer. <laughs> <laughs> but admirable. And I, I think having a positive attitude is great, but... I think the way to get to the answer is through figuring out what questions you're trying to answer. I I think early on, I was always like, well, how do people know everything? And why are they so confident and think they already know all of these things? And now over time, when I can't make a decision, have come back to approaching it with like, well, what questions do I still have and what information could I get to be able to make a decision and then focusing on that and understanding that if I, in my gut, don't have enough information to make a decision, maybe that that's enough information to wait, get more information and then come back and try to make the decision another time. I like that a lot when you mentioned (laughs) How do they seem so confident in your experience now, looking back a little bit and having some reps on this, would you say that how do they know or how do they seem so confident? Is just that they're great actors or, or, or how do they seem so confident? I think it's both. So I, I think there's people who either know a slice of things and are really good at that subject matter area and maybe do know it. And then I think there's just people who are really good at selling 
like maybe they know 50%, but they really own that 50%. <laughs> so it's important to try to recognize the difference where somebody can really talk the talk, but then the people that can also walk the walk as well. Okay, quick role play. You're in a meeting type <laughs> environment. They Someone asks you point blank, Claire, what's the answer to this? Yeah, a question you don't know the answer to. It's like, ah, what we feared has happened. What do you say? Actually, I would start by saying, um, probably. Uh. <laughs> uh, I'd probably try to reground and ask some clarifying questions. Yeah information and then either answer the question or give them a plan on how I could answer the question. But I'm usually not somebody who would make something up just to try to answer a question. Oh, absolutely. That That's a recipe for getting the firm in some trouble. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and it's difficult because there are times when you're like, I should be able to answer this question already. I, I should have enough information to answer this question and it should be straightforward but then if it's not figuring out what the challenges are with the project that might prevent you from answering some obvious question early on and addressing those challenges yes okay that's good so you give them the game plan that's fun I, i learned a fun phrase instead of i don't know we'd say it's unclear. <laughs> <laughs> it's unclear. The, the information might be out there in the world, but we don't have it yet. <laughs> it's unclear to me right now, which is kind of like saying, I don't know. But uh, I like that. There's a little uh, ambiguity in the mix. It's unclear. So well, I like that. It's not just me that doesn't know. Other people in my situation would also not know. <laughs> scholars have wrestled with this for, for decades so, well, that's fun. If, well, if, if there's nothing else you want to share there about your kind of ascent and, and, and pushing yourself and, and how that's worked out, I'd, I'd love to shift gears a little bit too. So now you're, you're running this associate program and it is growing in a hurry, which is pretty cool. So tell me, how many associates are there now and, and how many were there like last year? Last year at this time, there were five people on my team. Right now, I'm about to have seven, 17 people on my team. Impressive. Out of that 17, I also promoted some people. So only two of the 17 were actually on my team last year at this time. I see. So now that's a, that's a whole boatload. Yes. So it's a blast and really cool to see just new smart people come in and make a name for themselves on projects because I respect a lot and have told the team frequently that if the early join people who joined the team hadn't done a good job and been smart, talented individuals, then this whole thing would have stopped a long time ago and we wouldn't have been expanding so quickly. So I, I think recognizing talent has been a big part of it. Oh, that's great. And, and that's kind of fun. It imbues a bit mm-hmm. of a purpose there in terms of, of legacy and, and what the implications are for the future. And so I'd also like to hear yeah. a bit there. Now, what is your role associated with hiring them? Are you the decision maker or or how does that work? So we go through a few phases. So there's a recruiting phase where the recruiters will do some screening. And then uh, myself and one of the other members of the associate team, one of the managers would do the associate interview and say, like, this person is approved to join our team. 
Right. And then we would recommend that candidate to a partner for interview. And by the time we recommend the person to a, a partner for an interview, we have to be pretty solid on recommending that we would hire that person. Oh, great. So it, it sounds like mm-hmm. you very much are on the front lines and have a critical uh, role in that candidate getting to the end. Yeah. So then that, that's good. Yeah. That's kind of what I want to know then. So <laughs> that, that tees up the next question. So tell me and everyone here, what are the things that really pop on a resume in terms of, of skills or, or things that you go, oh, yes, this person will be great? So that's really tricky because I stand by you interview for personality and then you can train for skills as you go, but you can't ever train for personality along the way. All right. And that that means that I'm trying to find personality in people's resumes, which is tricky. It usually comes down to finding somebody with really solid experience that I think makes the foundation of them being a good consultant and then trying to screen for them and meet them on the phone to understand personality better. I, I think one thing I like a lot is when I see somebody who's stayed with the same company, but grown in what role they're playing in that company. So uh-huh. it shows they've kept the relationships, but still been somebody that's grown, taken on new challenges in their own company. But it can vary a lot based on the different candidates. I mean, I have somebody who talked to me about how he quit his job and decided that he wanted to go open a bar, but the first step was to go bartend for a while. And by bartending for a while, he learned that opening a bar was not for him and came (laughs) back into industry (laughs) and is now pursuing um, a consulting career. Or I have another person who went and worked in Africa where she was helping them open a hospital in Africa. So I, I think that ability to identify something that you're passionate or even something you think you might be passionate about and be brave enough to pursue it is a really cool trait. Oh, that is fun. So, so within those experiences, you see a thread associated with, with bravery or, or courage, which yeah. makes a lot of sense as a key thing that could make a consultant successful. As we just mentioned, you're going to be thrown into new situations again and again where you don't quite know what you're doing at first. So you need that bravery to tackle it. And, and what else are you looking for or what really catches your eye in terms of making an experience great on a resume? I think a variety of skill sets. So another person on the team has an engineering background, but then talked to me about selling real estate, which sales and engineering aren't really an obvious combination for a lot of people. And I'd say very few people can do both of those things. So things like that, that are just like, you're an interesting person and have a cool background and like, let's give you the right expertise and training to really capitalize on that kind of set of core competencies that you have. Mm, That's good. That's good. I think confidence though is an important factor in a lot of those things where you can know what you want, but not pursue it or fall into a trap of just pursuing what the company tells you to do or what you think you're supposed to do. So showing that you can kind of identify what you feel is right in your gut and be brave enough to pursue that, I think is an important theme. Oh, yes. I like that. And so mm-hmm. once the associates are in, 
you know, so you're, and, and generally how old are they? Sort of, is it fresh out of undergrad or what's the range there? The range has expanded a bit, but I would say about a year out of college okay. through five to six years out of college. Oh, just perfect. That's why I thought you should be on this program. That's lovely. And so within this population of folks, what do you see are skills, like even when you get a, a talented, sharp, brave, going places individual, what are some skills that, or themes that have you identified that can often be a little bit lacking or mm. areas that most often need a bit of a polish or an upgrade? I think an interesting area that a lot of these people are starting to face is that they're all good individual contributors and can manage their own workloads well, or, or at least within a certain amount of time can manage, get organized and manage their workloads fairly well. But a lot of them are going from that to either managing a team at the client site or managing a team internally within Traxon. And so learning how to rely on other people as well, I think is a really important skill set and the social awareness to understand who they are and how they influence that other person and how to motivate that other person, direct them, help them do what they need to do. So I, I think a big skill is going from an individual contributor to a team contributor or to managing a team. Oh, certainly. And any pro tips for when you're at the cusp, that you're that tricky transition point right there from the individual contributor to managing a small team, uh, what are some, some key things you think people uh, forget or need to have an aha moment uh, along the way to pull it off well? I think it starts with self-awareness and understanding who you are and how you influence the people on the team. So um, I spent a lot of time with the team looking at Myers-Briggs oh, and yeah. understanding how who you are and then having the opposite team. So like the introverts and extroverts went on their respective sides of the rooms and talked about who they were, what they value in interactions, how they might be misconceived in interactions um, so that everybody understood that it's not right or wrong to be introvert or extrovert, but you need to understand like your toolkit that is your personality and how you can apply it to different personality types to connect with them or effectively communicate with them. Oh, yes. That's important. That's important. MyersBriggsWorkshop.com. Everyone <laughs> wants a piece of that? Come on down. Can't help it. Self-plug. Happens every once in a while. Oh, good. But, yes, Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs Myers is awesome. One of the guys on the team, after we did our Myers-Briggs workshop, went back and got his whole project team to do it. He thought it was cool and brought it up and he's like, they're never going to do it. But he sent them the link anyway. And within 20 minutes, they had all done it and were talking about their personality types and learned a lot about each other as a result. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'm a, I'm a true believer. So it, it's not perfect. It's not a panacea for everything. And some people misuse and abuse it. But fundamentally, I'm a believer. And that'll probably be a topic of another episode uh, one of these days, yeah. uh, talking to Myers-Briggs. So, so that's cool. Any awesome. other ways to make that leap, individual contributor to, to management? I think there's also, if you're a smart individual, learning some patience in everybody else might not be as smart as you are and being patient to... <laughs> Just make sure you bring everybody else along on that journey and take the time to communicate what's going on. Give people time to digest that communication um, 
talked a lot recently with another team member who wasn't in love with one of his coworkers, and he was trying to share that feedback, but he was spending some time where he was right about the situation and understood what was going on, but needed to find the right way to share that feedback with other people and let them digest it and then fix the situation and work with him to resolve it where maybe learning and completely understanding the situation might have been faster for him, but getting other people along on that journey and allowing them to fix the situation is a longer process. So learning to be patient, learning that sometimes through teamwork, you need to communicate that does take time and is a step in the process, I think is important. I hear you. And, and that impatience, it, it really, it can show up sometimes in, in all kinds of little ways. Like I recall sometimes folks would be presenting a slide deck and they'd say, does that make sense? And, and what they're really saying is, can I move on yet? <laughs> or, or am I going too fast for you slow people? And what are some other like don'ts? Like, don't do that. Does that make sense? Does it make sense? Can we go now? Now? Is that, what else should we not do? If I want to avoid conveying impatience, what should I do or not do? And that's interesting because I, I think I fell into that, does that make sense trap early on? And part of it wasn't from being impatient or not wanting to bring people along. I think some of it came from like a complete fear of public speaking. And if I was presenting a slide deck, I was like, okay, next slide. Can I please get down now and stop presenting this thing to you? (laughs) Um, But slowing down, talking through everything, making sure everybody was on the same page actually could take the pressure off of public speaking because it was more of a collaboration and people asking questions along the way. And then you're sharing speaking by making it a discussion and everybody comes out of the room understanding what's going on. Great. (laughs) Great. Well, anything else that you'd like to make sure you share before we shift gears into the fast faves? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well then let's, let's jump in. Can you tell us first a favorite quote, something that inspires you again and again? Okay. Um, my favorite quote is it's not about the size of the dog in the fight. It's about the size of the fight in the dog. Um, I've always been one of the youngest or the shortest or the most petite, (laughs) um, but still that doesn't mean like I'm not tough or not ready to dive in and work on problem solving as much as the rest. So that's my favorite quote. Oh, I like it. Tell us perhaps, do you have a favorite study or experiment you find yourself thinking about or referencing again and again? This is a tricky one. I thought about this one for a while. I really, there's this study about lovable fools versus competent jerks. And it looks at social networks. It's by the Harvard Business Review and it looks at social networks And if you're at work trying to get help on something, who are you most likely to turn to? And most people would obviously go to the competent, lovable person, or they would avoid going to the jerk who's also an idiot. However, if your choice is to go to a lovable fool that can't give you the right answer or the competent jerk you're actually more likely to go to the, to the lovable fool than the competent jerk to get your question answered, which is really interesting just to see the balance between EQ and IQ in the workplace and 
the importance of both understanding and being able to work with other people. So that I think that's a really interesting one. Oh, that's a lot of fun. And I love a good two by two. So of course, yeah. <laughs> I'm a consultant. I couldn't get through this without mentioning some sort of two by two. Yeah, it, it, it is a great one. I hadn't heard of it and I love it. Mm-hmm. How about a favorite book? I by Sheryl Sandberg a lot. I think there were things in my career that I had potentially been more shy about or not fully appreciated. And um, having her, a good book about stepping up as a female in the works really resonated with me. It talked about personality differences between males and females and um, how they approach seeking a promotion. And if you're going into a meeting, who's more likely to go sit front and center right in the middle of the table versus who's more likely to step aside and step to the corner of the room and take a seat at the end of the table. And then um, just how assertiveness is received by different genders. I think the section in the book about who's most likely to sit where in a meeting is very interesting because I can see it now in meetings where I can tell the most confident people will go straight to the middle of the table. But then as a result, a lot of the conversational center around the middle of the table and those that sit towards the end sometimes get left out of the heat of the discussion. So it's just an interesting book that I I think spoke pretty clearly to me and resonated a lot. Oh, great. Thank you. How about a favorite habit, uh, sort of a game-changing personal practice of yours that's boosted your effectiveness? From Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, there's a whole section on organizing your work around urgent work versus important work and how urgent work can dominate over important work. And so I've actually structured my to-do items around what's urgent for the day, try to just triage that and get it out of the way as quickly as possible so that it's closed and not lingering out there, but then also to save time for the important stuff, because that's a lot of the meaningful things. Like I'll have a lot of urgent things around a client site or a client project, but then need to come back to like, you just said a goal setting process for my team. That's also highly important. And the urgency builds with time, but not as urgent as helping the client, but equally important. Excellent. How about a favorite tool? Is there any sort of gadgets or software or hardware or things that you lean on again and again? Yeah, lately I think it's really been about how do I get the information I need on each of my different devices. So I love OneNote and the ability to take notes on my phone, my iPad, my laptop, and have it all in one place. So I think lately it's just been about how do I keep data integrated across all my different devices so that at any given point in time, I have everything that I need. I don't have to remember what happened during that meeting two weeks ago. I have that book with me at all times. And favorite time-saving trick? This one was kind of a tricky one because I, I think you want to do things right. So I, I think it's right. taking the time to do things for the first time rather than have back to you and having to recycle or redo them a second time and correct them. 
I think it's also about delegating and building it that helps you get more done. Yes. And a favorite role model, someone you look up to professionally and why? My mom, actually. My mom, right. she was a CIO and also a single mom. So she worked really hard to be successful at both of those things. Um, did some pretty amazing things and was brave enough to go with my stepdad and take a job in Europe working as a CIO for about five years. And for the longest time growing up, she would ask me what I wanted to do when I grew up. And my answer would be, I don't really know yet, but I'm pretty sure I don't want to do what you do for a living mom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And now as an IT professional, she had the opportunity to stand up in my wedding and say, I told you so. But so uh, apparently something did hit home with everything that she's taught me and uh, amazing leader and also a wonderful role model. Oh, that's beautiful. And what would you say is the best way for people to find you if they want to reach out to you or try to become one of your associates? Uh, What should they do? (laughs) LinkedIn's probably the best way to go. All right. Just punch your name in LinkedIn. Yep. Find me on LinkedIn. Email you, gradual Twitter doctor different articles, um, but LinkedIn's the most reliable way. Okay. And uh, as we part ways, a favorite challenge or a call to action that you'd like to leave folks with, those um, who are trying to become awesome at their job? So I think a story that I share just about every year or every time I do a goal-setting discussion or discussion with one of the associates, is will talk about... Um, one of the associates who just got promoted out of the team. And at the end of 2014, we were doing his review and it was like, you're doing an amazing job as far as Trexton's concerned. Here's all these awesome things that you did and like, great job. Here's your raise, your bonus, everything. And his response was, well, I feel like I did a good job, but I don't feel like I grew as much as I could have this year. Mm. And so I, I think it's, the challenges don't limit yourself to your company's definition of success. Every year you should set your goals based on what would make you satisfied at the end of the year. And then also incorporate what keeps you employed and keeps your employer happy, but start with what makes you happy and makes you feel fulfilled at the end of the year. Oh, beautiful. Well, Claire, <laughs> thank you so much. This has been a delight and congratulations and keep on trucking. Thank you so much. This was a blast. Well, I hope that's inspiring and motivating and you're better equipped to tackle the, the fear and difficulties of a stretch type roles and assignments. And once again, if you want to check out these resources, items mentioned, the transcript and whatnot, that's available at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep12. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.